So uh, three-day weekend, is that right? Three-day weekend? Anybody not have a three-day weekend? Yeah, you're the bitter ones. Yeah, I see you. That's okay. I'll pray for you guys. Um, anyway, so, so here's for the rest of us who do have uh, tomorrow off. Here's what I want you to do. As we're giving back to God, just tell somebody around you what you're going to do with that day off, all right? So tell them what you've got planned. Tell them why you're excited, what's going to happen tomorrow, all right? Go. All right, so what do you got going on? Anything fun over here? Anything planned? Barbecue? All right, barbecue. That seems, that seems uh, appropriate, a barbecue. What's that? Going to the movies, okay. Going to the movies. What's that? Strawberry Festival. I've heard someone else said that, and they, I, I don't know what, what is it? It's in Garden Grove. That's all I've heard as well. So if you like strawberries, then you go to Garden Grove, I guess. I don't know. Um, all right, what else you guys got going on? What's that? What's that? Memorial Day service. Okay. All right. All right. What else? Sleeping in. I heard sleeping in. Apparently you don't have young kids. That's great. Good for you. Uh, Going hiking. Going hiking. Really? So you're one of those fitness people. Bummer. (laughs) I like the barbecue people, I think, a little bit better. That's fine. All right. What about you guys over here? What do you got going on? Or over here? Babysitting. Are you offering? Is that what you're saying? Or no, not offering. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, you've seen my kids. Great. All right. What else? The beach. All right. The beach. Okay. All right. Well, it sounds like you guys have good plans. Well, I think, uh, thank you for being here this weekend and being, uh, this being a part of your plan. Um, So I don't know what kind of week you've had. My week has been a little bit frustrating. All right. So here's the thing is I've had a laundry list of stuff that needed to get done. And so I was going to hit the ground running this week because I get all these things done because I knew I'd been behind at work and I got some stuff to get caught up on. And and as I was uh, heading into the work week, I don't know how this happened, but I, I woke up and I put my glasses on and on my left lens was a giant divot right in the center of my vision. So a little inside information. Um, I can't see out of my right eye. I was born that way. It's my only flaw. And, uh, <laughs> and so when I can't see out of my left eye, we're in really big trouble. And so I, I, I knew I needed to get some glasses. I needed to get it figured out. So of course, I jumped onto Google, and I'm like, okay, how can I fix my glasses? Because um, I didn't want to go buy new ones. I'm super cheap, and so I didn't want to deal with that. So I started reading these articles about how to uh, fix your glasses. And so one article said you need to get this uh, glass etching material that you put on there because there might be a little film that's on there, scratch resistant, so your glasses aren't scratched. It's the film that's scratched. So if you take that off, then the the scratches will go away. And so I, I give that a shot. And didn't work at all. And so I go back, okay, okay, let's, let's try another thing. And I don't know what this was supposed to do. And I, maybe it was like that there, uh, it was a joke or something, but they said, mix baking soda and into a paste and put it on your glasses. And I'm thinking, all right, I'll give it a shot. And so I give that a shot and hey, it didn't work. And, uh, and so I, I tried one more thing and it was, um, it was to put car wax on it, to put car wax on it. So I just, I just, I go and I buy car wax. I put it all over this thing. Turns out that makes it worse. And so at the end of the day, I had no glasses at all. It went from a tiny little thing to now the whole thing is foggy. I can't see out of it. Throw them away. 
And so I was, I was, uh, I was going to go in, and I was going to get them fixed and go and order some. And, and I had to come into the office because we had a staff meeting. So I came into the office. I didn't have my glasses on, and it was very fuzzy, very blurry. I couldn't really make out exactly who everybody was. And so I'm just squinting, and I'm supposed to be talking, and it's just like super distracting because everybody's looking at me like, what is going on? It's not sunny inside here. You know, what is this guy's problem? And I tell him, oh, my glasses, they broke. And, and so one of, um, one of our staff members, Amanda, who's a singer here, she hands me her glasses, and she says, well, maybe these will work. And I think, well, I'm doubtful, but I'll give them a shot. And so I put them on there. And um, they worked great because I could see everybody laughing at me at how ridiculous I looked with these girls' glasses on. They did not fit. I have a fat face. And uh, they wouldn't even reach all the way to my ear, so they're kind of propped up. I look like a goober. And so she let me borrow them for the, for the staff meeting so that I could see and I could, you know, at least try to communicate with everybody. And, and then I had to give them back at the end. And I was just right back to where I was. It was fuzzy. I couldn't see anything, no clarity. And so eventually I spent the next two days trying to hunt down some glasses and, and get some new ones. And, and here's the thing is for that moment in time when she lent me those glasses, I had total clarity. Like everything that was fuzzy, everything that I couldn't quite figure out, I was able to see in that moment. And I don't know if you've ever had one of these moments before where it could be at work, it could be in your finances, it could be your health, and you just, you know that there's something off. You know that there's something not quite right, but you can't figure out exactly what it is. And then you have this moment of clarity where you go, oh, that's what the problem, that's been the issue this whole time. Oh, you know what, I can't believe I didn't see that. Of course, that's what needs to be fixed here. See, the scriptures talk about these encounters all the time in which um, God will send people, they're called prophets in the Old Testament, and he will bring uh, some of their, their priorities and some of their issues into focus for people. Usually it's, uh, it, well, it's always the nation of Israel, and God will send these people and say, you know what, they're messing up big time right now, and so you need to help get them back on track. You need to bl- bring some perspective and some clarity into this nation. And so he'll send these people to speak on his behalf. And we see this over and over and over and over again uh, in the Old Testament. All these different prophets getting sent to, to different people. And so I want to look at one of those prophets today. And, and uh, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, there's, there's minor and major prophets. Okay, so you've got minor and you've got major. You know what the difference between the two is? The length of the book. That's it, right? You thought it was something theological? No, minor, smaller. So the one we're going to look at today is only two chapters. You probably have never read it before. If you have, you don't remember what it's about, and you've most likely skipped over it any time that you've ever uh, opened your Bible. And so it's the book of Haggai, and if you don't know anything about the book of Haggai, let me give you a little historical context so you can at least kind of catch up. Here's what's going on, is God raises up this nation of Israel. These are like his people. He's going to speak to them. He's going to reveal himself. He's going to bless them. They're going to bless the rest of the world. Speaking is hard sometimes. Um... Where was I? Bless the rest of the world, yes. And here's what happens. is over and over again, this is the Cliff Notes version, over and over again, they decide, you know what, God, we're going to go our own way. Thanks for the blessings. Thanks for what you've done. But we're going to go and do our own thing. And so then God will have to kind of bring them back, usually sends a prophet, says, hey, if you don't straighten up, then uh, there's going to be some, some discipline, and we're going to have to get you uh, kind of back on track. And and this is, um, this is one of those times in which they've encountered or, or God has sent a prophet because they've been disciplined so harshly that God sent another nation to take them out of Israel and into captivity for 70 years. And so they're living in captivity for 70 years. God says, okay, I think you get the point. You've been disciplined, and so we're going to let you go back home. And so he, he sends uh, or he, he, he gives this very 
miraculous message to this king, King Cyrus. He is not a part of Israel. He is one of the people who has uh, overcome different nations and kind of inherited Israel as one of his, uh, one, one of his uh, kingdoms. And, uh, and so he would not be a, a person of God. And yet God speaks to him and says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to let these people go back to Jerusalem to begin to rebuild. In fact, I want you to tell them to rebuild the temple and give them the resources that they need to be able to do it, which is pretty miraculous if you think about it, is why would he have any motivation to let these foreigners go and to give them money and, and, and all the resources that they need to be able to rebuild the temple? It's because God sent a message to them. So they... Uh, they head back and they begin to rebuild the temple. About 50,000 people go back. They've got the resources that they need. And this is a big deal because if you're not familiar with the temple in the Old Testament, what takes place is that you have um, in the temple is where God and man meet. This is where God's very presence would dwell. And so yes, God is omnipresent, like he's everywhere at all times, but this is where he would like manifest himself. This is where his presence, where they could actually experience God. And so to have the temple is a huge, huge deal. This is like the center of the universe. This is like the, 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 the way in which they can most practice their faith. So they begin rebuilding, and uh, very quickly as they're building, they put down the foundation. It goes well. They celebrate. Woo! This is great. Except the surrounding cities find out about this. They don't like what they're doing, and so they start to oppose this building project. And so as a uh, as they're opposing the building project, they start rumors. They send to the king and they say, king, this, the, these people that you let back into their homeland, they're really doing this so that they can rebel against you again. So the king goes and he sorts through the mess and finds out, well, that's not what they're really doing. And he says, you know what? Here's everything you guys need. Here's my number. Call me if you need anything. I'm going to take care of you guys. And so we fast forward about 16 years after the building project has started. And here's the problem nothing has happened. They built the foundation, they put up a couple walls, and then the, the, the building has ceased. And you might think, well, what happened? Did the king change his mind? Was there a lack of resources? Was there some war? What, what really took place? And we're going to see what took place because God's going to confront the people of Israel through this prophet Haggai. So here's what it says, now that we're all, uh, we're all caught up. Haggai 1, 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Oh, okay, so God sends a message and he goes, I look down, you've had all the resources you need, you've had 16 years to build this thing, and the reason why you haven't built it is because eh, it's not a good time for us right now. <laughs> okay, so uh, this is, uh, we're, it's going to get fun, so you guys got to loosen up a little bit here, okay, because we're, whew, it's going to get either that, you're either going to laugh or you're going to cry by the end of this day, okay, so let's, let's jump in. So when I read this, it just, it just made me smile a little bit, because I thought, oh, we're not the only ones, right, like, oh, you know, I got young kids and the business, and we like to travel on the weekends, and you get it, right? <laughs> you understand. It's just not a good time for us right now. I believe in what you're saying. I think it's great. Uh-huh. Amen. It's just not it's priority right now, because it's not, you know, a good time. It's not a good time for us. See, when, when we say things like, it's not a good time, what we're really doing, and we know this to be true, is we're making excuses. They were making excuses. God called them to do something. He, it was very clear. It, it, he gave them the resources. He gave them their freedom, and then they made excuses. Well, yeah, yeah, we're going to get to it. If you sat down with the people of Israel and you said, hey, should you rebuild the temple? They would say, yeah, yeah, of course we should. Well, why haven't you? It's been 16 years now, and you haven't done anything. Well, we're busy. You get it. 
you understand, God. I mean, are you even in time? How does this work? You know, like 16 years is nothing to you, right? No. Because, uh, because God can see through our excuses, obviously. He knows that we're kind of shining them on. And so uh, when I think about our excuses, and this happens in my own life, and so I'm just as guilty as you are, but I sometimes wonder, how many sermons can I preach, can Doyle preach, can I, can I study, and it's finally going to kind of seep through? Again, this is, this is true of me as well. It's not just you guys. This is me. I can preach it, and I go back home and go, I should really do that this week. But like, how many times do you need to hear that, you know, you should tithe? Like, the Bible talks about tithing a lot, and it talks about what you do with your money, and you go, eh, maybe 16 more years, and then we'll, <clears throat> we'll think about it. Or, or how many times are we going to talk about sexual immorality, and how you shouldn't be living that lifestyle, and you go, ah, yeah, it's just not a good time for me right now, you know? Like, I'm in this season of really, like, just finding myself, and no. <laughs> All right. What about just, like, we talk about schedules, and we talk about priorities, and we talk about time spent, and we talk about all those things. How many more sermons do you think it's going to take for you to finally implement that? I talked to somebody after one of the services, and they came to me, and they said, you know, um, I don't like to admit this, but I've been in church my entire life. I have been here every weekend. I know all the sermons, and I did not start tithing until two years ago, because I always said, well, it's not a good season for me right now. This, the time isn't right, because at the end of the month, there's just not enough money, and so I'm going to wait until I have a little bit more money, then I'm going to start to give. And he said, eventually, I said, I'm never going to give. It's never going to happen. And so he stepped out, and he said, all right, I'm just going to start giving. And I'm not saying that this is going to happen to you. This is his story. He said, I started giving, and I've never had more money in my life. No, I'm not saying, oh, if you start giving, then God's going to go, cha-ching, 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 right back. No, I don't know what God's going to do. I know he's going to bless you. I don't know how he's going to bless you, but every time we step out and we're faithful to what he has called us to do, he steps back and he says, okay, I'm going to bless you. And so uh, continues on, Doyle, this is going to be a long service if we keep up at this pace right now. It's going to be good though. You can feel it. Hearts are changing. Lives are impacted. Just get them. I'm going to preach to you, but that's it. Just me and you right now. Okay, here we go. All right, here we go. Uh, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruins? I don't know if you caught that, but God's being a little snarky here. He's going, <laughs> no time. I get it. You're busy. Wait a minute. I look at your house and you've had lots of time to build this. Oh, you've had plenty of money, plenty of time, and the panel houses is like luxurious. You've got flat screens in every area of your house. That granite countertop is on point. Joanna Gaines couldn't have decorated better. Look at what you've created. And I look over at my house, and it's a foundation in two walls. Huh, that's weird how that worked out. I get it, though. You didn't have enough time, and you didn't have enough resources. And so I think what God's getting at here is that we are oftentimes more concerned with being comfortable than actually experiencing, experiencing his change and his presence in our life. And so if we're going to like get uncomfortable, like we're just going to get real uncomfortable today, okay? We're just going to go there. <laughs> so, so here's what this might look like in some of our lives. Because we are so about comfort, we don't even realize some of the actions, some of the decisions we make are just to preserve that comfort. And so, for example, a minute ago, the band was up here and they were just going after it. We have some of the best musicians, the best singers. They just, they do an incredible job. And I can't tell you, yes, yes, they do awesome. 
You know something's coming, though. You guys are very hesitant to clap right now because you know there's something coming. Yes, it's coming. Um, and I will sit in the audience, usually, during worship. I'll sit in different places, and I just find it fascinating that they can just be up here praising. They're just pouring out their hearts, and then there's people going like this. I don't really like this song that much. <clears throat> this song's not really for me. You know, it's not my vibe right now. I wish they would do more of this, you know? Or like if they're just coming after you guys and you're like, oh, come on, let's sing. Then you go, I'm singing hallelujah to the Lord, right? And you just do it because like you wouldn't want to be uncomfortable singing out loud or like, I don't know, praising a little bit. Uh-uh, that's going to make me uncomfortable. So you know I'm not about to do that. Oh, it's getting real in here. I saw some of you guys go, oh, yes, you. Okay. I think it's also the reason why we tiptoe around certain conversations with our friends and our family is because we don't want that conversation to get uncomfortable. I might have to talk to them about faith and about church and about what's going on. Oh, that would just be so uncomfortable. And so, you know, my life, I don't know if you know this, there's a verse in the Bible, I'm sure it's in there, that Christianity is about comfort. And so um, Christ came to die for your comfort. That's what I heard. I don't know. I haven't read it before, but I think that's what it's about, is we are constantly consumed with our comfort, and we refuse to actually do what God says. We would much rather be, be comfortable than actually have God show up in a significant way. That was, that's what's happening with Israel, right? Is there good with God being in the general vicinity? As long as your blessings keep coming down, we're good. Just make sure that we're comfortable. And God's calling them out and going, no, 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 no. I'm not worried about your house. I'm much more concerned about my house. And so let's just, let's just, we're just going to go here. Okay. I did some studying this week, some research, and I came up with a couple numbers. And um, here, here's just some of the basic numbers that I, that I found online. Average home price in this area, 600000 to a million dollars. Average family income is roughly eighty dollars to $100,000. Average yearly giving of an SEG year, $1,000. Yeah, that's uncomfortable, isn't it? Because I think, like, the reason why I can resonate so much with this passage um, is not because I like to preach messages that are super uncomfortable and people just stare back at me like, who is this guy? Um, no, I like it because it, it just hits us right where we're at. I read this and I go, oh, that's not just Israel's problem. That's our problem as well. You come to our house, we've built them. I don't care if you own a house or not, you apply this to any arena of your life, we're good, we're taken care of, because that's what we are, that's our priority, that's what we think about first, and then when it comes to God's house, his priorities, yeah, I'm not sure if I have the time and the money. All right, let's continue on before uh, nobody comes back next week. Okay, verse five. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways, See, most of our life, we, we are just going, we're moving, we're busy, and so we're just going with the flow. Here's what I want to do, here's what everybody else is doing, okay, so I'm going to sign up for this, I'm going to spend on this, I'm going to, and we're just moving, and he says, time out, just pause for a sec. Let's start to look at your life. Let's start to look at your priorities, let's start to look at what you're focused at, and let's start to see exactly what you value in this life. Because, right, we're going we're gonna to find time and money for the things that we value, and so let's start dissecting it. Let's start looking at your life and the way that you live and let's see what you really love. I think our immediate thought as Christians, if we were asked this question is, what is your first priority? We would say, well, God's my first priority. And God's pointing out in this passage, no, no, tell me. Don't tell me what your priorities are. Show me what your priorities are. Show me. 
You show me by where you spend your money, where you spend your time, and where you spend your talents. Show me. I don't want to hear it. No, no, no. Don't give me lip service. Don't go, oh, Jesus, Jesus. No, 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 no. I want, show me the priority list of your life. And as the people of Israel are confronted with this truth, they realize that their priority has not been God. I think this makes sense because if I were to continue to tell my wife, you know what, you are, you're the most important relationship on this earth. It's you and me and you, I value you, I love you. But if I continue to blow off date night and spending time together so I can stay late at work and pursue my career, she's going to rightly conclude that I do not prioritize her above work because I can tell her all day long, no, 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 baby, you're the priority. But at the end of the other day, my actions say otherwise. And he says this, he says, you know, all those priorities, all those things that you've been pursuing in your life that have been about you, I want you to notice how that's turning out. Here's what he says in verse six. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put clothes on, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. He says, have you noticed that you continue to to pursue these things, you, you continue to try to achieve and to uh, uh, accomplish and accumulate, and at the end of the day, you haven't seen any progress. Like, it just feels like you're spinning your wheels. At the end of the day, when you look back, you know you did a lot, but you can't really pinpoint what the results were. Or maybe you do achieve and you do acquire, and once you have gotten that thing, that thing that you thought was going to bring ultimate satisfaction, you get it, and it's just temporary at best. And now you want more. Because before you were hungry, now you're starving. Have you noticed that there's nothing that you can do that you can have that's going to satisfy that desire? He says, it's because you continue to, in verse 9, expect much, but see, it turned out to be little. So you, you thought that if you got that job, if you got that spouse, if you had those kids, if you had that money, if you had, then things were going to be okay. You're going to finally get there. You're finally going to arrive. And then when you got there, wherever that there was, you were pretty disappointed because there was nothing at the top of that mountain. There was just a bigger mountain right behind it. And there was no satisfaction. There was no fulfillment. He continues on. He says, what you brought home, I blew away. Why? Declares the Lord. Because of my house, which remains in ruins. Well, each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I have called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. So here's what he's saying here. He says, you know, you've been distracted with all your wants and your desires. You've been pursuing all the things that you need and that you want in this life. And so here's what I'm going to do because it's, it's so distracting, because it's, it's taking your priority away from making me the number one thing. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to remove those things out of your life. See, that relationship, it's distracting you. You, you know it's not God-honoring. You know that you shouldn't be with this person. And so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to remove this out of your life so that you can reprioritize. That job, it's become an idol to you. It's become your number one priority. And so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take that job away from you. That money, it's going to fall right through like it has a hole in your pocket. And I'm doing this for your own good. And you might think, well, Cody, that doesn't sound like God's doing it for our own good. Well, of course he is. Think about this. If you're a parent, you do this all the time. Is my kids... Um, 
I would give them a list of things to do. Hey, you need to go clean your room. You need to get ready. We're going to church. Yeah, you need to do your homework. You need to, and they're just distracted. They got other stuff going on. It's good stuff. All this stuff is good stuff. But if they're focused on the wrong thing, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take those things out of their life and say, now you can focus in on what matters. No playtime today. Sorry, we can't go and hang out with them right now. Nope, those toys are going to have to go away for a little bit. Why? Well, because I need you to focus on the things that matter. Now, if we do that as parents, why would God not do that with us? When he says, oh, you're distracted right now. Yeah, that's a good thing, and I want you to have that thing, but you've made that thing the ultimate thing, and so I'm going to have to take it away from you so that you can focus on what matters. My, uh, I, I was thinking about the, so when we hear the scripture, we're getting it from God's perspective, but I thought, I wonder what this feels like if you were, in the, if you were, were Israel, and you were seeing this happen from their perspective. My guess is at first it would be kind of hard to connect the dots. Because think about it. What they're experiencing is that there's no harvest, that there's no rain, that there's been a drought, that even the stuff that they bring in is, isn't really much. And so I would assume that they're looking at this going, now how do we solve this problem here? But what they haven't realized is they haven't made the connection that the issue is over here and the consequences are felt in this arena of life. What I mean by this is God controls everything. He wants to be first priority. And so when you fail to make him the ultimate priority of your life, you may feel the, the, the consequences in what you think are unrelated arenas of your life. For example, you wonder why your marriage is a mess. You wonder why you're struggling. You wonder why you can't get this figured out, and you've done everything you can, and God's going, it's because you've neglected this area over here, and you go, but those aren't even connected. That's business, and this is marriage, and he's going, no, no, I oversee everything. It's all mine, and so don't try to isolate one arena of your life from another and think that there's going to be no consequences there. One of the things that my grandpa would say is if you were experiencing, it doesn't matter, it could be a relational conflict, it could be the first two questions that he would ask, and they seem so irrelevant to the issue, he would say, are you praying and are you giving? You go, Dude, it, that's not the problem. I don't even know why you're bringing it up. It's relational issues that we're having. It's me and this person. He goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's connected. Are you praying and are you giving? Because he understood that God oversees all of them, that he will, he will bless and he will remove. And so if you have one area that you're trying to hide from him, you may experience the consequences in another area. And everything is connected. I, uh, as a pastor, sometimes uh, have conversations with people, and I would never do this, okay? So if you come to me and you say, ah, oh, this is what's going on in my life, and I'm really struggling, I wouldn't do this, okay? But I might think this is, when someone comes up to me and goes, my kids have gone out off the deep end. They're just a mess. They hate, you know what? They've rejected this faith. They won't come with me. I don't know what the problem is. It could be, it's a broken world, we're broken people, and it's a mess, totally. You could be doing everything right, you're pursuing God, and it's just, yeah, your kids have rebelled, and they, you know, they're doing their thing. Totally could be true. But it also could be that you have refused to address this area of your life, and now you're experiencing the consequences in another area of your life. I, I grew up with so many kids who went to church. Their parents were there faithfully. And they could not for the life of them figure out why their kids rejected this faith as they became adults. And I went, did you not see the connection? Do you not see that your secret addiction was affecting your kids? Because you think that nobody knows about that, but God knows about that. Y your heart reflects this. And even though if you might keep it away from your kids, they know that something's not quite right, that you're not really living this thing. And so they're not going to take this faith seriously. 
And so one of the things that I would recommend is if you are struggling in one of these areas of life, and maybe it's a consequence of broken world, broken people, I get that. But just maybe it's because you're not meeting God halfway. Maybe he hasn't showed up because you haven't done what you're supposed to do, and so he's not going to show up and do what he's going to do until you do. One of the things that my parents always taught me growing up was, well, have you done what you're supposed to do? Have you evaluated your life? Have you looked into all the arenas of your life and you've said, you know what, I know that I'm neglecting this and so if God's gonna show up, I'm gonna have to fix this. I'm gonna have to go and meet him halfway. And so I think the the scripture is pretty clear about what it's talking about here is, and if I were to uh, make bumper stickers, which if this sermon doesn't go well, that might be what I'm doing uh, next week, is... um, I think the whole faith could be summarized, like the practice of the Christian faith could be summarized in three simple words. Put God first. That's it. That's it. And I would be willing to bet that most of your problems in this life are a failure to put God first. In fact, that's the definition of sin. Sin is a failure to put God first. It's to take something that God has created, a good gift, and to put it as the number one first priority in your life. That's the definition of sin. And so we could probably go back to any arena of your life and it's a failure on your part or someone else's to put God first. So what do we do? Here's how this uh, this scripture ends. It says this in verse 12. The whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. So here's what happens. Is... Haggai comes, he preaches this very difficult message of you failed to put God first in these arenas of your life, and so you need to turn around, and here's the word, repent. Now, this is not how we like to do faith, all right, especially here in the West. We don't like to do faith like this. The way that we want to do faith is, okay, I hear what you're saying, I've thought through it, I see the future benefits of following, and so I'm going to do it. And God goes, no, that's not how this works. What happens is you understand that God is in control of your life. You fear the Lord, meaning you know that he can do whatever he wants to do with your life. He's in control. The decision is, are you going to submit or not? And then you decide, you know what? I think I'm going to go his direction. I've been going my direction this whole time, and so I'm going to repent, means turn around, and I'm going to start going in his direction. And so it says that's what the people of Israel did. They stopped, and they repented, and they started heading in his direction. And then here's the uh, result of that. Verse 13. Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. I don't know about you. I don't know all the things that you want to pursue in this life, but that's like, for me, the number one. Is if I could just know, like I know that God is with us, right? Omnipresent, he's around, he's with us. But if I could just, if I could just know that he is with me, no matter what I'm walking through, no matter what I'm experiencing, if I just knew that he was there in a very personal and real way, I'm pretty sure I could face anything in this life and be assured that it's going to be okay. And that's the assurance that they got, was that God was with them. Yeah, they had to repent. They had to turn around. They had to give their life over to him. They had to say, I've been messing up. I've been living for myself. Now I'm going to go your direction. And the result is that God is with you. And here's the last, last verse. 14. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. So it says, great, you've repented. I'm walking with you. Now let's get to work, right? For some reason, we've come to believe that if we do it in our hearts, then it counts. 
oh, yes, I, ooh, I feel convicted. I walk out and I, oh, Lord, you got me today, <laughs> you know? And he goes, great, now do something, right? It came in your ears, it went down to your heart, now let's make it out of your hands, all right? Let's get to work. And so here's the way that God is honored, is when you hear that you have failed to put him first in either your entire life or an arena of your life, and then you go and you change and you do something about it. And it doesn't take you 16 years to do it. You go, that's what you want me to do? I'm going to go do it, and then I get to walk along with you. And so wherever you're at, whatever's going on in your life, I want to leave you with this phrase. The phrase is, I am with you. And if you, uh, if you know the Bible at all, that's a phrase that's repeated over and over again. And there's one place in particular in which we see it pretty clearly. It's in Matthew 28, 19. Probably the most, one of the most famous verses. It says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Here's what it's saying. It says it throughout the whole entire scripture. The uh, book of Haggai says, If you will go and build my house, I'll be with you. Fast forward 500 years, Jesus arrives and he says, if you will go and build my kingdom, I'm with you. And so the big picture is, look, if you want God to be with you in a significant way, if you want real life change to happen, if you want to experience his presence, here's what he wants you to do. He says, stop building your house, stop building your little kingdom, stop making your name great, and start making mine. Start building my kingdom. Go and get some more people here. Stop focusing on what you want and what you need and start worrying about what I want. And when you do that, I will be with you. And I think him walking with us is going to be the best gift that we could ever receive. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for um, the scriptures. We thank you even for the challenging times in which um, it hits us right where we're at. I know that this message personally uh, is uncomfortable because I can see some areas in my life in which I have not put you first, in which I have been doing things my way, the way that I want, the way that I think it needs done, and I've been way too focused on me. And so, Lord God, um, one of the things that I desperately want in my own life is for you to be with me, this assurance, this peace, this joy, knowing that the creator of the universe is on my side and is walking with me. And so, Lord God, help me to take the steps in order to put you first. And if there's some blind spots in my life, help me to see those clearly. And so, Lord God, we thank you and we love you. In the name we pray. Amen.